Hey everybody, welcome back to my podcast. This is another episode of Brutal Crimes, and today I am doing part two of the John Bonnet Ramsey case. On my last podcast, I ended with John and his friends searching the house and how they went into the basement. I'm going to discuss what happened after that. So in the last episode, I talked a lot about um, how this kind of came to be. I talked about the ransom note. I talked about um, the house and how they had family over and friends over like right after all of this happened. And then I let you guys listen to an interview done by Detective Arndt with um, someone from the news station. Now, when you listen to that interview, you basically can hear uh, the anguish with Detective Arndt. She's, she's mad. She's pissed off. Um, the reason for that is a lot of people keep saying, why doesn't she just disclose who she thinks the killer is? Why can't she just tell people, I do know who the killer is and I'll tell you who it is. Well, there's a, there's a specific reason why she can't actually do that. Um, and it's called a gag order. Now, basically what this means is, is they're not allowed to talk about it. They are sworn to silence after the case is over. Um, I mean, this case is going to be open forever, but what she said at the end of that interview was basically the person who killed her is never going to go down. Now, this can mean many different things. Either somebody that did kill her is in a higher power, which sucks, but that's just the reality that we have to face. Um, That's why that this case has never been solved, uh, because they've got the evidence, they've got They've got every, they've got every, everything, everything that they could possibly ever need to solve this case. Um, as I said before, if detectives can solve a, a case of a murdered teen by finding one arm hair in a car that's been submerged in a lake for two years and crack her case, they can crack John Benet Ramsey's case. So you obviously know that there is a way to solve this case, but nobody has solved it and we don't know why so uh so basically the end of that podcast i was talking about john and his friend searching the house now detective aren't said that she told them to search the house from top to bottom but john went straight to the basement which was very odd because before they had searched the house they had already gone through the entire house looking for her they searched underneath the beds they searched in the cupboards i mean anywhere a child could hide they searched um, and this is the, this is the part that kind of gets people going when they went into the basement, there's a room, the wine cellar that they technically called the train room. Uh, John Benet was actually found in that room. Now, prior to that second search, the, that room had already been looked at. They didn't disclose, they disclosed that when they went down there, they didn't turn the light on. They just opened the door and they didn't see anything. Now, What's strange about this is when John went downstairs, he went straight to the train room. He opened up the door and said, I found her. Now, the guy that he was with said, well, he just opened the door and yelled, I found her. He didn't even have the light turned on or anything like that. So there was absolutely no way that he could have possibly seen her because before Prior to that, they were down there and they looked at it and the light was off and they didn't see anything. So this kind of just strikes you as a little bit odd. Um, Next thing you see is uh, John 
turning the light on and he uh, goes to JonBenet and then he rips the duct tape off her mouth. He picks her up and then he carries her upstairs like a doll. Uh, the way the detective was describing how he was holding her was like he was he was kind of picking her up like you would pick up a baby doll. Um, it was a little weird. She was already, rigor mortis had already been set in, so she was already stiff, but he had laid her down and asked if she was dead. Now, any parent who finds a child that has been missing is not going to immediately pick up that child and carry them to a place and ask if they're dead. They're going to get down on the floor. They're going to check their vitals. They're going to try to do CPR. They're going to be a mess. They're going to be freaking out. They're going to be freaking going crazy. That's just any parent in my perspective. Um, but he did not do that. He just took the bandaid off, picked her up, and carried her upstairs, laid her down, and asked if she was dead. There was no emotion from his face whatsoever. He says there was, but the detective clearly states that there was not. Um, she claimed that he was cordial the entire time, and basically that means he was happy, he was friendly. Uh, she had mentioned that he was looking through his mail and all of this. So anyways, now after that had happened, the detective had told John to lay... John Brene Ramsey down and he he did as he was told then he asked her if she was dead and she's like well yeah she's dead she's obviously clearly been dead for a while um but she had laid they had taken her into the living room and laid her down on the ground and that's when you know the house instantly you know became an active crime scene but there were people there cleaning <laughs> this is what pisses me off the family friends were over at the house. They were touching everything. They were cleaning things. They were wiping the counters down. They were um, sitting in the living room. It was just, that's just not something you do, especially with the missing persons case. And again, nobody mentioned the ransom call. There was supposed to be a phone call from the alleged kidnappers that was supposed to take place and it never happened and nobody said a word about it. So that was something that was really weird. And then John was basically looking through his mail um, like it was just nothing. And after this had happened, apparently John had actually tried to book a flight out of the state that day, which also kind of strikes you as a bit odd, but nobody really understands or knows why any of this happened. None of this makes any sense. So, um, they had conducted the autopsy. Uh, she had died of asphyxiation and she had about an eight inch gash across her face like across her skull and she was sexually assaulted um but she had also been previously sexually assaulted as well and that right there was a big red flag now in a different interview with a, a youtuber that i had watched she had mentioned that during the christmas party uh somebody had seen john benet sitting on the stairs and john benet had actually uh, mentioned that she didn't feel pretty She's a six-year-old child. Why would she need to feel pretty? But if you look at the history, her mother was a perfectionist. Like, everything had to be done perfectly. So there's a lot of incriminating pieces of evidence that, you know, stand out to you. If you look at the JonBenet Ramsey crime scene photos, and you look at her photo of her laying on the ground, first of all, this is what bothers me. Who took that photo? Because the detective said she was upstairs and John and his friend were downstairs. 
did that did they have a camera did somebody take a picture of that how did that photo get taken because that's what she said they were downstairs they brought her upstairs but in the crime scene photos she's downstairs in the basement on the concrete floor so something's not adding up here it's something's not right um but in that crime scene photo you can clearly see that there is a she's wearing a bow in her hair a specific type of bow now the night before they were at a christmas party and there was an actual photo of john benet taken the very last photo that was taken she was wearing that bow now her mom says that they went straight to bed at about 10 p.m they came home had opened presents or something like that like the timeline of events is just odd um, they also said that John Bonet was asleep in the car when they went to their friend's house to deliver presents, but then her, her friend said everybody was awake, everybody was alive and well, and there was, no, nothing seemed to be wrong. In Burke Ramsey's interview, you know, he basically had said some certain things in his interview that made total sense, um, but the Ramseys didn't want him to be interviewed, which is also another red flag. Um, also, in the autopsy, it had appeared that John Bonet had actually been washed clean completely before any of this took place. Like, she, the evidence that they had showed proof that somebody had bathed her down and then redressed her because they actually found John's DNA in her clothes. How would that be possible? That makes absolutely no sense. There was also a good couple of hours where John was not accounted for. So all of this basically just goes top to bottom. You're just like, something's not right here. This is all not, this is all making perfect sense, but it doesn't make sense at the same time. This is like the most frustrating case ever. Um, and so I found this article. It's the John Benet Ramsey case, 20, case 20th anniversary, a timeline of events. So I'm going to read them to you at, in order as they are presented here. It's from the Denver Post. So, December 25th, John and Patsy Ramsey say they last saw their six-year-old daughter alive at bedtime at the family at the family home in Boulder, exclusive Chiquata neighborhood. John Benet's nine-year-old brother, Burke, is also at home. And then December 26th, Patsy Ramsey gets up to make coffee at 5.30 a.m., reports finding a two-and-a-half-page note on a back staircase of the house. Note says John Bonet has been kidnapped and demands $118,000 in cash. The Ramseys call police, who begin investigation into what they believe is a kidnapping. That afternoon, John Ramsey searches the home, discovers John Bonet's body in a spare room in the basement that was used to hide the Christmas presents. She had a skull fracture, has been strangled with a garret, and her mouth had been covered with duct tape. December 30th, police take blood and hair samples from John Ramsey and other members of the family. Police also say that John Andrew, Andrew Ramsey and Melinda Ramsey, John Benet's adult half-siblings, were out of town the day of the murder. 1997, January 1st, John and Patsy Ramsey grant extensive interview to CNN in which Patsy Ramsey proclaims there is a killer on the loose. John Ramsey calls the idea that he or other members of his family could have, been commi could have committed the crime nauseating beyond belief. Five detectives from Boulder fly to Atlanta, where the Ramsey family previously lived. January 3rd, investigators announced that, announced that the ransom note appears to have been torn from a tablet of paper found in the house. If authorities are correct, this means that John Bonet's killer wrote the note after arriving at the house. John and Patsy Ramsey returned to Colorado after John Bonet's funeral. 
February 13th, Boulder Police Chief Tom Colby and Boulder County District Attorney Alex Hunter hold a news conference where they vow that the killer will be brought to justice. Hunter announces the formation of an expert prosecution task force, including forensic expert Harry Lee and DNA expert Barry Sheck. Both Lee and Sheck were a part of the O.J. Simpson defense team. March 7th, sources tell the Denver Post that handwriting experts from the Colorado Bureau of Investigating determined John Ramsey did not write the ransom note, but their analysis is inconclusive as to whether Patsy Ramsey authored it. March 13th, veteran homicide detective Lou Smith joins the Ramsey murder investigation. Smith, a retired investigator from El Paso County, is best known for cracking the murder case of Heather Dawn Church in Colorado Springs. I picked a bad time to move to Colorado. <laughs> all these, uh, all these deaths are crazy. So April 3rd, DNA testing begins at Cellmark Diagnostics in Maryland. This is the second round of testing of DNA in the case. The initial round was conducted at the Colorado Bureau of Investigation Labs. April 18th, DA Hunter for the first time publicly identifies John and Patsy Ramsey as the focus of the investigation. April 30th, police conduct their long-awaited formal interviews with John and Patsy Ramsey more than four months after John Binet was found murdered. Patsy Ramsey is interrogated for six and a half hours. Her husband later is interrogated for approximately two hours. Police release no statement about the contents of the interviews. May 1st, John and Patsy Ramsey, in a rare interview with the reporters, declare their innocence. I did not kill my daughter, John Ramsey states. His wife states, let me assure you that I did not kill John Binet. May 14th, the much-anticipated results of the additional DNA tests were delivered to Boulder Authority. Sources tell the Denver Post there are no surprises in the report. January 15th, John and Patsy Ramsey refuse to submit another round of interviews unless they can review the evidence, a condition of unacceptable, which is unacceptable to police. January 16th, Governor John Rumer rejects a request by two friends of the Ramseys to appoint a special prosecutor in the murder case. January 29th, more than a year after their daughter was murdered, the Ramseys turn over to police the clothing they were wearing that night before John Binet was found. So this is a year later. They didn't give any evidence to the police. They didn't even talk to the police for four months. They, do you understand like how incredibly stupid this makes them look and how they were literally refusing to talk to the police? They were refusing to conduct, conduct these interviews without their own consent and without their own specific questions that they wanted this this makes absolutely no sense how did they get away with i mean this makes absolutely no sense to me uh february 6th friends of the ramseys joined to form an investor group to buy the couple's boulder home the 15 room tudor style house is put under contract for six hundred and fifty thousand dollars um at the request of a tenant who is negotiating to buy the home after looking for the killer of John Binet for 15 months, police say the best bet was for solving the murders a grand jury investigation and formally call for such a probe after conferring with the DA, Alex Hunter. June 3rd, Mark Beckner, the lead investigator in the case, reports that he is excited about the test results recently received evidence taken from the Ramsey home. The case now ex includes 1,058 pieces of evidence. Although, oh, June, June 23rd. Although he will become Boulder's new police chief, CMDR, Mark Beckner says he will remain connected to the Ramsey's investigation, but warns that the city's most notorious case has no magic answers. That's wonderful. June 24th, John and Patsy Ramsey return to Colorado for interrogation by district attorneys investigators and are reportedly questioned together separately. For the first time, the prosecution conducts an extensive interview with their son, Burke, who is now 11. 
August 6th, in a stinging eight-page resignation letter, the angry detective Steve Thomas says Hunter's office is thoroughly compromised and has crippled the case. Thomas charged critical evidence has not been collected and maintained that other evidence wasn't tested. Romer later asked four area DAs whether he should interview intervene in the case. August 12th. Revealing that the case is headed for grand jury, Romer says he wants to help Hunter not remove him from the case. He invokes a sta state stat statute that allows for special deputies to assist in the DA. August 19th. Fleet White, who was, with the John, who was with John Ramsey when he found his daughter's body, renews his plea for someone other than Hunter to investigate the case. August 20th. Sources tell the Denver Post that an enhanced that an enhanced version of the 911 call Patsy Ramsey made the morning she found the ransom note includes Burke's voice in the background. That would contradict earlier statements by the Ramseys that their son was asleep until police arrived. September 16th, five months after they were chosen, Boulder County grand jurors begin their investigation. September 24th, investigator Lou Smith resigns, saying authorities are focusing too heavily on JonBenet's parents. In this letter, he says the Ramsey's did not kill their daughter, and a very dangerous killer is still out there. September 27th, Ramsey's family lawyer, Hall Hedden, demands Boulder police shift their focus from his clients. On ABC's 2020, former detective Steve Thomas gives his first interview since his resignation, calling the case very disheartening. October 13th, grand jury begins hearing forensic evidence, including analysis of handwriting, DNA, and hair fibers found at the scene. October 20th. John Benet Ramsey or John Ramsey returns to Colorado for a deposition in a civil case filed against him and the National Enquirer photo photographer Stephen Miles. Miles has accused Ramsey and the paper of Le in the paper of LaBelle and slander after two 1997 articles labeled him a pedophile and used an unnamed source who said Ramsey believed the photographer killed his daughter. December 1st, the Denver Post reports a grand jury will meet just once in December and then take the rest of the month off. Convenient. December 3rd, it's learned that five Ramsey family members have been asked to provide DNA samples to authorities. The five are not considered suspects. So sources say authorities want the DNA to see if it can be linked to unmatched DNA found in the Ramsey home. February 18th, Lawrence Schiller's book, Perfect Murder, Perfect Town, offers new insight and details into the investigation. The book describes the feud between police and prosecutors the moment the investigation began. March 17th, five alternate grand jurors who had been hearing evidence in the case since September 1998 are sent home. Oh, wow. March 18th, Boulder Police Detective Linda Arndt, the first detective on the Ramsey House, December 26, 1996, resigns. She has endured singing criticism and ridicule because of what she did and didn't do once she arrived on the scene and later sues her then-boss police chief, Tom Kobe, for not publicly coming to her defense and not letting her defend herself. April 8th, a six-month extension of the grand jury's investigation is granted. Uh, May 19th, Burke, now 12, is secretly questioned by the grand jury. The next day, Boulder authorities publicly affirm he's not a suspect, only a witness. September 13th, Arndt appears on Good Morning America claiming she knows what happened the night John Benet was killed. In the five-part interview, she says she knows who killed the girl but does not reveal the name. That's because of the gag order. She legally can't if she does... Her life could possibly be in danger or she could be incriminated and be sued and go to jail for the rest of her life. So it's not her fault. She wants to say it, but she can't legally. September 23rd, after almost four months off, the grand jury returns to work. During this time off, the investigators were collecting additional DNA evidence. September 30th, 
John Ramsey grown, John Ramsey's grown children, John Andrew Ramsey and Melinda Ramsey, testified before the grand jury. They had been publicly cleared as suspects in March 1997. October 13th, DNA Alex, DA Alex Hunter announces after the grand jury had completed its work that his team doesn't think it has sufficient evidence to warrant filings of charges. In 2013, documents are released that show a grand jury indictment. 1999 accused John and Patsy Ramsey of two counts of each of child abuse resulting in the death in connection with their daughter's death. The charge alleged that the parents permitted the girl to be placed in a dangerous situation that led to her death and accused them of helping her killer. Because Hunter refused to sign the documents, the Ramseys were never officially indicted or prosecuted. Also, that is convenient. June 24th, Patsy Ramsey dies after battling ovarian cancer for more than a decade. August 15th. John Mark Carr, a 41-year-old elementary school teacher, is arrested in Thailand after confessing he accidentally killed John Binet while attempting to sexually assault her. The case against Carr collapses later in, in August. The DNA test results prove the tipping point in eliminating Carr as a suspect. Despite his public statements that he had been present during her death, those results, coupled with lack of evidence placing Carr in Boulder at the time of the murder, lead Boulder County DA Mary Lacey to drop the case. Oh, boy. 2008, July 9th, the armed with the new DNA evidence points to an unknown male as John Binet's killer. Lacey publicly exonerates the child's parents and immediately the an immediate family. In a letter hand delivered to John Ramsey, Lacey says he is confident that a touch DNA analysis done by a private lab is, has determined that genetic material left on the waistband of the long johns John Binet was wearing when her body was found matches the DNA left in her underwear. In 2016, September, TV programs... A&E, Dr. Phil, Dateline, NBC, NewsAir advanced the first 20th anniversary of John Binet's murder. Boulder Police Chief Greg Testa says that a September 1 videotape statement that he wouldn't do interviews about the case to maintain the investigation's integrity. He points out that the department has processed 1,500 pieces of evidence, took 200 DNA samples, interviewed more than 1,000 people in eight states. Yeah, I know, buddy. That's my son. Interviewed more than a thousand people in eight states and investigated more than twenty thousand tips, letters, and emails. October, um, forensic experts who examined the results of the DNA test obtained exclusively by the Daily Camera and Nine News dispute former DA Mary Lacey's conclusion that a DNA profile found in one place on John Binet's underpants in two locations on her long johns was necessarily the killer's. The experts say the evidence showed that the DNA samples came from at least two people in addition to John Binet, something Lacey's office was told but that she did not mention in clearing the Ramseys. December 13th. Boulder police and prosecutors plan a new round of DNA tests on key evidence in the unsolved 1996 murder of six-year-old John Binet Ramsey. The Daily Camera and Nine News report Boulder County DA Stan Garnett and Testa confirmed that they and members of their staff discussed this issue with Colorado Bureau of Investigation administrators who are on the verge of unveiling new, more sophisticated DNA tests than their lab has ever used before. Okay, so now you have a detailed description of the timeline of events that started from 1996 all the way to 2016. I'm not sure if there's anything else after that, um, but mostly people who talk about this case, uh, they go into like descriptive detail and um, a lot of people have 
different types of information that they got from other sources. Most of this you can find on YouTube. You can find it in documentaries. You can find it on um, certain websites. Like I go to Reddit for a lot of my material, the things that I read on Reddit, they get pretty detailed and stuff. So you have this timeline of events and it kind of like puts it into perspective. Um, when you hear that they have thousands of pieces of information and, you know, evidence, but yet this case happened in 1996 and it's now 2020 and she's still not, her murder has still never been solved. So you have all these different pieces of DNA, you've got all this incriminating evidence, you've got all of these facts, you've got all of these wrong place, wrong time, you've got the behaviors, you have all of these different things that are linking to this case, but we don't have a conviction, we don't have a killer, nobody has been caught. So, uh, when you look at this case and you think to yourself, like, how is this possible? How is it that these people just decided to go four months without talking to anybody how the second their daughter goes missing they invite their family and friends over knowing that their child is missing i get that you would want support and stuff but the simple fact being is is if you know from a ransom note that you got and it specifically says to you if you talk to the police your daughter dies if you mention anything to anybody your daughter dies if you make any wrong moves your daughter dies it even says right then and there if we see you talking to so much as a dog she's gonna die um they basically told the ramses in this ransom note that they would be the ones who would likely have her daughter killed have their daughter killed because if they did not follow the exact orders on the ransom note obviously she was going to die. So you have the ransom note, you have the detailed description of exactly what they were supposed to do and their instructions. And what is the first thing they do? They call 911. I mean, in my opinion, don't you think that's a little odd? Um, as I said in my prior podcast, if my child was missing and I received a ransom note and it gave me specific instructions, I would do everything that the ransom note said. So this basically kind of leads you to believe that the Ramses knew their daughter was dead before they made the phone call. Um, so as, as I had previously stated, when a kidnapper kidnaps a child, they don't write a ransom note that's two and a half pages long, and they <laughs> they certainly don't use... A piece of paper torn from a notebook inside the house they certainly wouldn't have a ransom note if they planned on killing the child anyways that just doesn't that's not in a kidnapper's forte that's just not how any of this works so um already you have them going against the ransom note you have them inviting friends to their house you have john's crazy behavior if you hear that in the background that's my son i apologize he's trying to fall asleep and uh, let's not forget the simple fact that they didn't speak to the police for four months and that they spoke to the media before they spoke to the police. If you were concerned that your child's killer was out there and you were desperate to have your daughter's murder gain justice, don't you think that talking to the police would have been like the number one thing you would have done? So um, 
in the analysis of the 911 call, it was proven with the audio completely stripped, all of the noise in the background taken out, it was proven that John says, we're not talking to you. Then you hear Burke Ramsey, which is the brother, say, what did you find? It was clearly Burke. There was nobody else in the house other than Patsy, John, Burke, and allegedly John Binet, but she was dead. So there was nobody else in the house. And then you hear uh, Patsy saying, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus. Because she pretty much um, said that Burke was asleep, everybody was asleep, and that Burke only woke up when she went in to wake him up to have him go to their neighbor's house, which was proven to be a lie. So getting into all of that detail, I'm going to discuss all of the specific lies that the Ramseys told that kind of points them into a guilty direction of, rather than completely exonerating them of the case, like just blowing them completely innocent. That's no. Okay, so when the autopsy was conducted, they found traces of pineapple in John Binet's stomach. Now, there was, a, uh, there was a bowl of pineapple out on the table, and Patsy said over and over and over again, nobody gave her pineapple, and if somebody gave her pineapple, then I don't know who the hell it was, it, but it wasn't us. Well, DNA tests proved that the only fingerprints and DNA that were on the bowl of, in the can for the pineapple were Patsy's. So that right there completely just demolished her lie because it was proven her fingerprints were on the bowl of pineapple John Binet had pineapple in her stomach she said she didn't give it to her but there's the evidence saying she did and she lied um oh also Burke Ramsey's fingerprints were on it too so that was another thing so uh she obviously like John Binet ate from the bowl and um like, they basically insisted that the bowl mysteriously appeared and no one in the family had any part in placing it, which is really, really stupid. Um, the Ramseys knew that John Binet had gotten the pineapple and eaten it, but this seems too unlikely. Um, but they couldn't confirm it or deny that she was the one that gave it to herself. They just confirmed that it was Patsy and Burke. Um... So Patsy also said that John Binet was asleep when they got home from the Whites and John carried her up to the bed. Still asleep, Burke contradicts this in the Dr. Phil interview by stating that he had watched John Binet walk up to the bed that night. Which is also another thing, because Patsy said, I carried her upstairs, but then it was John carried her upstairs, but then Burke is saying, no, I watched her walk up the stairs. I was following behind. Um... So after Burke went to bed that night, he remained sleeping in his room until he was awakened later that morning. Burke again contradicts this in the Dr. Phil video, admitting that when he went back downstairs to play with the toy he and John had just set up before bed. Then they finally went back to bed later. So Patsy had said both of the kids were up, or were in bed, but Burke is saying, no, we weren't in bed. I, was in, I wasn't in bed. I came downstairs to play with the toys. Um, and then... Patsy claims not to recognize her own handwriting on her own photo album, which is ridiculous. She, the, in the ransom note, it, the DNA forensic analysis of the ransom note showed many, many, many 
many similar characteristics to Patsy's handwriting because they compared it to the writing that was on the photo album that they had and it was like an almost in a direct match. So Patsy's basically saying, well, I don't remember if I wrote this on our family photo album or not. How would you not know what you write on your photo album? How would, how would you not know if that's your handwriting or not? That doesn't make any sense to me. Um, they also claim that the flashlight didn't belong to them, um, but John Andrew had just bought it for John as a Christmas gift. So they lied about the flashlight as well. The suspected lies, depending on point of view, are not proven, but they don't necessarily represent the opinions. So Burke was not awake or present for the 911 call and did not leave his room until John and Fleet came to get him to bring him to the White House. That was a lie. That the suitcase didn't belong to them. Technically, this is true, but it does belong to John Andrew. Statements regarding the suitcase seems to change from interview to interview. Uh, the one consistent response is that no matter no member of the family placed the suitcase in the position it was found in, many suspect this is a lie. Uh, that Burke hitting John Binet with a golf club was an accident. This was a speculation. That John only called Mike Archuela to tell him what happened rather than arrange a flight. That's also proven to be a lie. He arranged a flight that day. He was trying to, which was denied. Um, Basically, this is like, it, it, it's all basically together, 100%. You, you have these people who are, you know, frantic at like 6 o'clock in the morning, calling 911 that their daughter's missing, completely going against what the ransom note says. Then they invite friends over, making it even more of a chaotic scene because you're not supposed to tell anybody what's going on because your daughter's going to die. Um, they have their friends over. Their friends start cleaning the house. Then they have an officer going all around the house with John, checking the house, checking the house, checking the house. And then the um, police officer leaves. And that's when Detective Arndt shows up. And she's supposed to be there to assist with the ransom call, which basically comes and goes. And no one says a word. Not a single person says the, says a word. Then John and Fleet go and check out the entire house, uh, but they start from the basement after being told check top to bottom. They went to the basement. John went to the train room first, which is exactly where he found her. He did not check to see if she was alive. He just picked her up, brought her upstairs, laid her down, and asked if she was dead. Clearly, he would have known. Yet the photograph taken of her crime scene photo was of her laying down in the um, train room. Unless, of course, for some stupid reason, their living room was concrete. I, I mean, I don't know. I can't necessarily, like, think of it that way. It, in the crime scene photos, it literally shows that she's in the train room. Unless I'm mistaken. I can always go back and look at it. But I want to know who took the photo. That just doesn't make sense to me. Um, and then you've got the evidence that she was hit in the head but there was no murder weapon yet there was a baseball bat outside there was a broken window there was a shoe print which was actually proven to match a local pedophile that was living a couple of blocks away which was pretty fresh so he also had the same type of uh wiring that was used to bind john benet's hands so there's that but he was dismissed as a suspect which makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever um 
And then, and he also had an obsession with John Bonet as well. And uh, then you have the fibers found in John Bonet's clothes, which belong to jo John Ramsey's shirt that he was actually wearing that same day. And it was found inside John Bonet's outfit. She was wearing long johns. So how it would have gotten inside that specific spot that they found it in would have basically meant that he would have been the one that bathed her completely 100% because otherwise it wouldn't have, that wouldn't have happened. She had to have been, she was completely dressed when they found her, but she had been assaulted and she was beaten. So basically you're thinking to yourself, somebody undressed her, washed her off and then put the clothes back on her. And that's how his stuff, that's how his DNA got into her clothes. And then, um, but they can't figure that out supposedly um then you've got like i said you've got the broken window which john claims happened months prior yet he's a million like he's loaded and he didn't fix the window months prior a broken window with somebody that can act easily access your house you wouldn't fix a broken window for months that doesn't make any sense to me um and then you have them refusing to talk to the police for four months. They don't want to talk to anybody. They've got their, they got their lawyers, their attorneys. They're making all of these different accusations. You've got the pineapple. You've got Patsy Ramsey's fingerprints and John or Burke Ramsey's fingerprints on the bowl of pineapple. Then you have pineapple and John Benet Ramsey's stomach. Then you have the last photo taken of John Benet at Christmas wearing a bow. Then you have her um, crime scene photo. She's also wearing the same bow. You have them saying that they were asleep when they went to drop Christmas presents off, but their neighbor completely, you know, disqualifies that by saying, um, no, they were all awake. I saw all of them. So you have all these different lies and stuff, and you've got all of these different types of evidence, but no conviction. Now, there was one thing that really caught my attention. So I remember seeing a video, I cannot tell you where, because I've looked everywhere for this stupid video, and I know I saw it because I was at a hotel with my husband uh, when we were basically s switching houses. We were moving from Oklahoma to Kansas City, and we had stayed the night in a hotel, and there was a special documentary about John Benet Ramsey, and I was like, oh, I want to watch this because, you know, I was always fascinated with this case since I was a little girl, and I remember distinctively seeing a team of forensic scientists uh, reenacting John Benet's head, head injury. So, you know, if you've seen uh, CSI, they have these certain types of dummies that weigh the exact amount as the victim. Um, and then they add like fake blood into the, into the, the dummy that would equal the same amount of blood that that type of person for that age would scientifically have in their body at that time. So they had a dummy with John that was John Benet's size and stature, and they had several people in the same stature as the accused. So, um, so you have one that is. John Ramsey's build, then you've got one that's Patsy Ramsey's build, then you have one that is a, you know, a, a pedophile, the, one of the pedophile, I believe, their build, 
um, like a much larger, larger man, and then you've got the build of an eight-year-old boy, right? That would be John. Uh, that would be Burke Ramsey. So, I remember each of these people taking a swing at the dummy with an exact replica of what they believed to be the murder weapon was, and they each took. A swing at the dummy nobody could recreate the same head injury either the head injury was way too bold or it wasn't accurate enough it didn't have the same markings or it was just it would smash the dummy to bits because the force that it would take however when the eight-year-old boy took a swing at the dummy it created an exact match to what the injury would be on John Binet and her uh, her head injury. So that kind of leads you to believe that um, maybe Burke Ramsey was jealous of his sister. Uh, it, it, he did have issues. He was very upset with her a lot. He didn't like that she had got so much attention. Uh, and there was actually a article I read somewhere. I cannot remember where I saw it, but Burke actually pooped in John Binet's bed because he was mad at her. Um, and he was always very jealous of her. It does not take excessive amounts of force to kill somebody. You can see all over the world children that have committed crimes that are absolutely atrocious, and they are young kids that do terrible things. So it's not unlikely, absolutely, it's not unlikely that this could possibly happen. So... That's where I'm kind of leaning towards, but again, I wouldn't know. Um, they're saying that the DNA found in John Benet Ramsey did not match Burke. It didn't match John. It didn't match anything else. So, but it matched a a known a male. It was definitely a male, and there were two types of male DNA, but they can't figure out who. Um. Now I I seriously cannot find that video anywhere. I looked everywhere for it. I still can't find it. I don't understand why. And then um, I remember watching a YouTube video of part of the D part of the 911 call, and you can clearly hear Patsy say, "Go back to bed," and it's just lie after lie after lie after lie after lie. Who does this? Like, no, no, nobody. Like, who does this? Like, they basically put this entire situation into like a media frenzy. They got so much airtime. But they didn't want to help solve their daughter's murder. They leave. They leave for four months. They don't speak to anybody. Then they want to control the interviews. They want to see what they want to be asked first. They want to approve the questions. They also, you know, refuse to do certain things that they're being asked. That they don't cooperate completely. That makes you feel one hundred percent that they knew something and were not saying anything. Now, uh. When Burke Ramsey went on Dr. Phil, this kind of came as a shock to people because Burke was literally non-existent after his sister's murder. You didn't see him anywhere. He just completely like vanished off the face of the earth. And he came, he like resurfaced on the 20th anniversary to, you know, talk. Well, why was he in hiding? Was it because of the media? But I mean, like, what were they trying to protect him for? They wouldn't even allow the police to interview Burke, period. 
and they had to get a court order to to interview him. The jury wanted to indict John and Patsy, and it was basically approved, but no one could no one would sign the paperwork, so they never got indicted. So some people in power, it, it's so obvious that there's something wrong here, <laughs> like obviously. I don't know if this case will ever be solved. I really hope in my lifetime that it will because kind of it, she deserves that. And that's just not fair that her case just has so much evidence, but no conviction. And it's 2020. So I, I feel like we have the technology, we have the power, we have the resources. And, you know, that's why you kind of have all of these crime vigilantes that sit there and they, they document their own evidence. They look at all of their different types of theories and they pinpoint certain things and they talk about this over and over. People say that they're obsessed with the case, John Benny Ramsey. It's all about John Benny Ramsey. Yet the reason why people are so obsessed with this case is because they want to see it solved. It's not because they're fascinated with the case. It's not because the case is interesting. It's because somebody out there is not doing their job. Somebody out there is completely neglecting their responsibility. They're hiding something and they're obstructing justice, which is this against the law. But why is there a gag order? Why can't the detective say who killed John Binet? Why is she not allowed to speak her opinion? The entire world can say who they think killed John Binet, but nobody working the case, nobody on jury, nobody that was an officer or an attorney is allowed to say who they think killed this child. Nobody is because that gag order is set in place. So if they so much is if they so much as breathe a word of who they think killed John Binet, they could go to jail for the rest of their lives or worse, which I think is absolutely stupid. Somebody out there, which is literally, there's, there is, I would probably say a 10% group of people that do not want this case solved. As far as the rest of the 90% of the world, we are begging for the case to be solved. We're begging for justice to be served for her. It's been 20 flipping years for crying out loud. I mean, my God, how much longer do people have to wait until this case is solved? It just doesn't make sense. Release the gag order. Why, why, what, what are you having to hide? What, what are you hiding? You know? And so that's why I do what I'm doing. I talk about the things that, you know, I want to see solved. I want these certain things to just end completely. There's a whole lot of evidence against this case, um, but there is one specific thing that a lot of people keep missing, and it's that in John Benet's room, there was a, I believe it was a Santa bear. Yeah, it was a Santa bear. And Patsy had claimed she had never seen that bear before. And nobody had ever claimed to have seen the bear before. The maid didn't know, if, had never seen the bear before. Nobody had ever seen this bear, and it was just somehow in John Benet's room. Now, in an interview that John was actually doing, somebody had brought up the teddy bear. And the second that the teddy bear was brought up, John raised his hand. He goes, can I go ahead and ask my questions? I got a band show to go to. 
Like that's that's literally how he's quickly he stopped that conversation. He was like, uh-uh, we're not talking about this. I want to go. I'm going to go to a concert. I got a show to get to. You know, it's like so that kind of strikes you a little bit. You're like, wait a minute, it's a teddy bear. Why would you not want to talk about a teddy bear? Like, is that like a key point? Is that like a key evidence piece that you know where that teddy bear came from, but you're not going to say anything? Also, uh, also, uh, in one of the interviews, Patsy actually says, hold your babies close because there's someone out there and they know. Or like they'll, they're, they're, they're all, they're out there, you know, it's like she was saying plural, like she knew who was out there. I pers I personally truly believe without a shadow of a doubt that John and Patsy knew who killed John Binet. I truly believe that they are hiding things, which is very unfortunate because Patsy is no longer alive, but I, I mean, like the evidence is there. Why would a ransom, why would a kid, why would kidnappers write a two page ransom note? give detailed instructions. I mean, it just, it, it, come on, think about it. Think about it. How stupid it is. It sounds so incredibly stupid. John Benet's parents made that 911 phone call because they knew she was already dead. Otherwise, if they were truly loving parents, they wouldn't have written, they wouldn't have taken a, a ransom note and they wouldn't have called 911. They wouldn't have breathed a word. But they knew she was dead. I know it. I know it without a shadow of a doubt. They knew she was dead before they made that 911 call. Something horrible happened that night. Absolutely. Something absolutely awful happened. Somebody did something to this child and they know what happened. So anyways, that's pretty much going to conclude this episode of Brutal Cold Crimes. And I will probably be back. I do need to redo my Luca Magnata case because there was some information in there that I missed. On top of that, there was also a bunch of rambling that I did that didn't necessarily get down to the facts. So I'm going to redo that podcast soon. Hey, thank you for listening. You guys have a great night and I will talk to y'all later. Bye.